Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers. As always, I wish you the best. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching this video, if you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor and smash that like button. Now, let's dig in. Before I dig in, I thought it right to share my brief thoughts on the autopsy photos of little Gannon Stout that were put on Patreon by another YouTube creator who charged people $3 a head to gain access to them. I cannot condone this behavior. It should not have happened. It's incredibly thoughtless and a very harmful thing to do. We all make mistakes, but this mistake in my mind is a pretty big one because it's hurting Gannon's memory as well as his parents. They've all just been re-victimized in a sense, and it violates their rights to privacy. Gannon was just a little boy, and I feel like he has rights even in death. No one with a heart and soul should want to stare at photos of his broken body. They don't really serve any purpose. But I'm not going to join the witch hunt against the creator. I can see that there are plenty of people already doing that, and I don't want to pile onto her pain. I'm not saying that to excuse her. I'm just saying I believe she's probably in a lot of pain. But the pain of the families, that's more important. That said, let's move on to the main topic. The house at 1122 King Road, once a place of joy, exuberant youth, laughter, music, parties, is now a frightening, ominous reminder of the evil that exists in the world and that walks among us and can strike at any time without any warning. Surrounded by student housing, that will soon be filled with fresh-faced students either returning to school or turning up there for their freshman year like victim Ethan Chapin had. The house is just plain scary at this point. Who would want to return from the library, say at night, and have to walk past that house in the dark? When the owners of the property donated it, to the University of Idaho, they were praised for their generous act. I think the owner knew that even a newly built home on that property would continue to carry the taint of the unimaginable horror and the evil energy of the acts that went down there. But when the university announced plans to demolish the structure, some of the victims' families and a lot of true crime junkies expressed the desire for it to remain standing until after Brian Koberger's trial. It seemed obvious that jurors would benefit from being able to go inside the house and see the crime scene areas for themselves. Shannon Gray, the attorney, for the family of Kaylee Gonzalez, told the Idaho statesman that the university is ignoring the family's request to leave the home standing until after the trial. Officials should not ignore the family's requests, in my opinion. An open dialogue would benefit everybody. Remember the Alec Murdoch trial? Those jurors definitely seemed to benefit by taking a road trip out to the Murdoch's rural property. Where Margaret and Paul Murdoch died, they were able to experience just how small the feed room was, the doorway where bullet holes remained in the wood, how far away Margaret was when she died, and more. So yes, it makes sense to want to preserve the crime scene for jurors. A few days ago, we learned that both the defense and the prosecution told the University of Idaho 
that they have no objection to demolishing the crime scene, and the reasons the prosecution gave in particular seemed pretty compelling. Here is what Lataw County Prosecutor Bill Thompson wrote in an email to the university dated April 6, 2023, and I quote, We have discussed this among ourselves and with the investigation leadership and have no objection to UI proceeding as you outlined. As you know, the court has already released the scene from law enforcement custody based on a stipulation of the parties. The scene has been substantially altered from its condition at the time of the homicides, including removal of relevant property and furnishings, removal of some structural items such as wallboard and flooring, and subjected to extensive chemical application, creating a potential health hazard. These these are some of the reasons that a jury view would not be appropriate, end quote. The defense also emailed the university, and here's what Koberger's public defender, Ann Taylor, said. I'm writing to let you know that the defense has no objection to the university proceeding as it sees fit with the residents on King Road. Previously, the defense agreed to release the property. Upon communication with the university, we were asked to weigh in on demolition of the premises. We appreciate the accommodation of one final walkthrough. After the walkthrough, our team has discussed the demolition of the premises again and have no objection, end quote. So both sides were okay with the demolition. Well, guess what? The University of Idaho announced today that it has decided to pause the demolition of the house. Officials are saying that they will revisit the decision in October before the end of the trial. I hate to say it, but it seems so unlikely that the trial will really take place in October. Pretty much every expert I've seen on YouTube has said that there's so much evidence to sift through that there's just no way the trial's going to take place that soon. Here's part of what the memo the university sent out to its staff and faculty says. Since that fateful night in November, the house on King Road, where four of our fellow vandals were senselessly killed, has stood as a stark reminder of what was lost. We lost our innocence and our sense of safety. We realized that evil can visit our town, and we lost four bright souls from our vandal family. In response to this tragedy, we have tried to do what is right, knowing full well there are no actions or decisions that will be met with full support. That is why the decision about what to do with the King Road House is so difficult. On the one hand, some people want it taken down. It is a constant reminder of the heinous acts that went on inside it. It is also a place that continues to draw unwanted attention from the media, YouTubers, and others. On the other hand, it elicits deep emotional responses from those who are working through grief and who fear that its destruction could impact the court case. We hear all these arguments, take them seriously, and weight them against the greater good for our university, end quote. 
The university also said that it fully expects to demolish the house in the future, but that the current decision is the right course to take for the current moment. So clearly, the university has decided to honor the victim's family's wishes. No one wants to pile on to the pain the families are going through. But after hearing how the prosecution and the defense were okay with the house being demolished, and especially after reading the description of the current state of the interiors, I kind of thought tearing it down made sense, especially if you consider the feelings of the students who will be living around it. But I'm going to go with the university and say that I think respecting the victims' families should be the top priority. And even if that house was torn down, by the way, I do recall it being said that a 3D scan of the crime scene was taken, so all along I haven't been too worried that jurors and even detectives could still revisit the crime scene to a certain extent. Three-dimensional laser scanning is a type of geospatial technology. Since I had little clue what that meant, I looked it up. Per the American Association for the Advancement of Science, or AAAS, geospatial technology is a term used to describe the range of modern tools contributing to the geographic mapping and analysis of Earth and human societies. Oh crap, I still don't get it. Anywho, GPS is a geospatial technology, if that helps. If you can see this clip I'm sharing, you can see how such 3D images allow investigators and jurors to experience a crime scene. Obviously, three-dimensional images are not as good as actually entering and walking through the crime scene, but I think they're currently the next best thing. Such scans can enable jurors to see where exactly the victim's bodies were found, in what exact position they were laying, where each drop of blood spattered, the size of each droplet, where blood pooled, where any prints from shoes, hands, and fingers were located, the path the perpetrator is believed to have traveled through the home, where the bedrooms were in relationship to one another, and so much more. Too bad virtual reality technology isn't yet available, at least I don't think so, for this, because that would really be like standing in the crime scene. Before this 3D technology existed, crime scene investigators had to rely on photographs, two-dimensional diagrams, and hand-drawn sketches to capture all the details of the crime scene, and jurors would therefore not be able to get a 3D view of the scene if the crime scene itself was no longer available for touring. I found an article on the website of the National Institute of Justice called Crime Scene Documentation weighing the merits of three-dimensional laser scanning. And it was about a research study that was done with mock indoor and outdoor crime scenes. The study was designed to compare the precision and reliability of traditional crime scene documentation methods versus 3D laser scanned representations. The study also looked at how judges, forensic experts, and laypeople who might end up on a jury perceive 3D laser scanned crime scenes in comparison to photos, 2D diagrams, and hand-drawn sketches. The researchers assessed which visual aids are the most informative, fair, and accurate by asking these three categories of people to interpret the mock crime scene. 
The researchers asked laypeople and forensic professionals questions about the crime scene based on the documentation generated by each method to see how well each method depicted the crime scenes and the evidence in them. The research indicated that 1. 3D videos were the preferred documentation and photographs were second. I'm thinking this means the participants felt they had the best sense of the crime scene from the 3D images and photographs over diagrams and sketches. But there is a slight problem because the research also indicated that two-dimensional diagrams and photographs yielded the highest average accuracies. This finding surprised me. I would have thought the 3D scanning technology would have been the most accurate. Another downside to 3D scans is that they're very expensive. But for law enforcement officials who were interviewed for the study, they listed 3D scanning as their preferred method of crime scene documentation. One officer said, quote, It also allows a virtual return to the crime scene to reevaluate evidence. Another study participant said they preferred the 3D video because, quote, It captures all parts of the crime scene at different angles, whereas other methods do not. And Quote. The three-dimensional method doesn't leave room for people to imagine or fill in what is originally missing because the whole scene is given. So for now, the crime scene house at 1122 King Road will remain standing. I give kudos to the university for respecting the family's wishes, and I think that they should commit to leaving the house intact not just until October, but until after Brian Koberger has had his trial. I don't think it's going to be in October, so I think it's going to be sometime next year. Unfortunately, the students living in the neighborhood will have to suffer the sight of the house, but the families that have lost so much, I think, should triumph in this battle. What do you guys think? Should this house of horrors stay intact until after the trial, whenever that trial takes place? Is there still value in going inside it when so much has been disassembled, the furnishings are pretty much all gone, and harsh chemicals are rife in the air? Let me know in the comments, and I'll see you next time on Bed Crime Stories. Hey, smash that like button, consider a membership, and I'll see you next time. We're a forensic animation company, which means that we use computer 3D animation to recreate events in a very highly realistic and scientifically accurate way. Uh, we work very closely with uh, expert witnesses, um, and we make sure that what we produce is directly in alignment with their testimony and their findings. In the Blake Libel case, um, it was very challenging to, to incorporate all of the blood evidence uh, and the Blue Star Magnum evidence. It was a, a new technique that we used in creating an interactive animation. It was an animation that you can walk through. You can walk around the apartment and turn on the Blue Star Magnum luminance to see where the blood splatters took place. It's helpful because really seeing is believing. When we have an animated video of what happened, uh, the jury can really take that in, understand quickly what happened, uh, regardless of how complex the case may be.